Hi, my name is Rachel and I am the host of Things I Wish I'd Known. I decided to set up this podcast because A, I love talking, I love learning from people, I love conversation and B, there are so, so many things I wish I'd known in my past, so many things I wish I'd known about my mental health, about self-care, about magic, mystery, spirituality, about so many things that I know now, these crazy new breakthroughs in science, frequency, sound, all kinds of things that I'm now so passionate about that I wish I'd known. And I'm hoping that by sharing these conversations with you, I'm going to be able to maybe relieve some suffering, maybe share some laughs and share some knowledge. Some of it you may think is amazing, some of it won't resonate, and that's okay. But I really, really want to get this knowledge out there. So I hope you enjoy listening to things I wish I'd known. And welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. And today I'm really excited to be talking to Ruby Warrington. She is an absolute thought leader. If the names of her books haven't reached you by now, I don't know where you've been. She's a writer and author of Sober Curious, which is actually a new version. A paperback's going to be out in January this year in the UK and December in the US. And also her first book, Material Girl, Mystical World, about the now age which again is another buzzword so completely excited to be talking to her today thank you so much for joining me how are you doing thanks for having me Rachel I'm doing really good thank you (laughs) so nice to chat to you again Ruby and I met first well we can't it's weird we've sort of been in similar circles because obviously you're you know Jill and everyone from She's Lost Control Mm. so you've been in my circle and I've obviously you know read the numinous and things like that like everyone had but we actually were on the same panel for an event in October and it was all about sobriety sobriety over anxiety an event in Waterloo and we just got chatting and it was like oh my god I really want to get you on my podcast and vice versa so I actually spoke to Ruby a few days ago for her podcast <laughs> which got very deep may I add it did and I got a bit uh, a bit emotional on that one so hopefully I can keep my composure today <laughs> I got emotional too and honestly like if we're not having a bit of a cry then what's the point is kind of like how I approach life and conversations in general I'm like that's you know we're here to feel things we're human beings we have a feeling function which computers don't have that and so it's one of the things that one of the ways we can stay connected to our humanness you know so thank you for those tears on my podcast Rachel's podcast gold gold. (laughs) cries on podcasts (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about sobriety and I know obviously you know you've got your book out about the sober curious movement and now that phrase just seems to be absolutely everywhere. How does it feel because I've also can you explain to everyone why you came up with sober curious because I really like the reasoning behind that. Yeah so I started using the term sober curious about three about four years ago actually to kind of describe my own evolving relationship to alcohol. And I started calling it saying that I was sober curious. And I, I honestly was thinking about what other areas, what other areas of life do we have this sort of an acknowledgement that there's a gray area. There's, you don't have to fit into this category or that category. And I thought of the term bi-curious, like as it relates to sexuality, right? If you're kind of curious about the other, same sex kind of relationships, but you're not necessarily 
gay, then you got to be bi curious. And I was like, that just seemed very expansive and very open-minded. And that was very much the feeling that I had about my own explorations with alcohol. It was, mm-hmm. not, I wanted it to feel as kind of open-ended and forgiving and non-judgmental as possible. Yeah. For myself, first and foremost, right? And I think that that's something, I think that, yeah, the term, it, it has that vibe to it, which is just like, this is not about a right or a wrong. This is not about any labels. This is about just an exploration of what it means to be a human being who lives in a world where this substance is just everywhere and like, what's what all the different things that that entails. So the term sober curious, that was my thinking behind coining that term. And yeah, it's the title of my book. And obviously this year, since the book first came out in December, 2018, it's just really taken off and it just seems like it's everywhere now, which is incredible. Yeah, it's mad. I keep seeing everything everywhere. But I think also (laughs) what's really beautiful is the kind of sober community. I find it so supportive and so Mm. kind. And it's been really funny because, you know, I know your journey is kind of similar to mine in the sense of, you know, you were working in fashion and I wasn't working in fact, well, I have done styling and things, but, you know, quite high octane, high profile lifestyle where there's lots of parties, lots of free bars. It's almost expected mm-hmm. to be drinking. And mm. I don't know about you, but I didn't even realize that sobriety was an option. It was like sobriety was for people that were in AA or people that had, you know, like a severe addiction. And maybe how I viewed addiction at that point was, you know, people that woke up and had to have a drink as soon as they wake up. But what I understand about sobriety now through my journey and through meeting so many incredible other people and their journeys, that's not always the case. And I think there's a lot of kind of having to put people in these kind of boxes, which I like about the sober curious, you know, the sober curious kind of title or whatever you want to call it or movement is the fact that you're not really in a box. It's not like black and white. You don't have to be sober or drinking or, you know, an alcoholic or AA or it's like there's a fluidity to it. that mm-hmm. I think is Beautiful. Mm. So I guess how, how did you find your sobriety journey like in terms of when did it all start for you was it something that was quite clean cut that you were just like that's it I'm done or was it much more complex than that super complex as it is for most people even if even people who are like closing a door on that forever I'm abstinent this is it I'm in AA it's still super complicated and nuanced like (laughs) I think it just is because of the nature of the substance and the nature of the world that we live in and the nature of us as human beings but it's interesting like even that term sobriety I still don't necessarily apply that to myself there's still for me so much stigma around it and a part of my mission has been to remove some of that stigma and like you said, to like the, the wider mission of Sober Curious is to make it as normal not to drink as it is to drink. So yes. that for younger, younger generations particularly, and we're already seeing it coming into our, what I call dominant drinking culture, meaning it is absolutely the norm to drink, no matter what industry you're in every industry do like even that term industry do the first thing that comes to mind is like open bar getting absolutely ratted with your colleagues and like embarrassing yourself but kind of bonding at the same time right yeah (laughs) so I think it's just everywhere in our society and I and yeah the, the bigger mission was really kind of like how about if we could create a society going forward where it's as normal not to so you really really have a choice as to whether you become a drinker or not because going back to my journey 
I didn't really ever feel like there was a choice. Like growing up as a, an adolescent teenager into my 20s, 30s, it was just, that was just the norm. That's just what we do. And there was literally no question of quitting drinking unless it got to a point when I say it, drinking or the problems that come with drinking, we've all experienced problem drinking. Like problem drinking is not just for alcoholics. Everyone who's had a hangover has had a problem with drinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> a hangover is a problem. <laughs> I think my problem was I never had a hangover until I was about oh. 7 or 20 hours. <laughs> So wow. I, no, I know I had no cutoff point. I mean, what I realized now, I think from therapy is I was so dissociated from my body through right. traumas that actually I just didn't notice the hangovers, but that's another story. Right, right. No, well, that's very interesting. And this is, again, like, you know, every individual is so different. And yeah. so every path to, let's just call it sobriety or not drinking or whatever is completely different, I think. And so my journey has undoubtedly been completely different to anybody who's listening or anybody who's thinking about this, but there'll be some similarities. And it definitely, like, I didn't have a rock bottom. No. I had to stop. I didn't quit through doing a program or doing a 12 steps or anything like that. It was just a slow process. And it probably began about almost 10 years ago, I'd say. It was like, well, probably around 2010. Yeah. Began just with this questioning, like, what's the real impact of the way that I'm drinking? And when I say impact, I mean, how is it affecting my sleep, my moods, my productivity, my anxiety levels, my relationships, like what would happen if I removed it? What effect would removing it have mm. on my relationships, on my well-being, on my happiness? Like, and all of these questions that began to bubble up in, internally and they were almost subconscious in the beginning. Like they were there, the questioning was happening, but I wasn't really even particularly conscious of it. Yeah. And so it's been, yeah, a very long process actually of really getting more and more comfortable with confronting and answering those questions honestly for myself. And that's led, I, the way I feel now about drinking, I think actually going through that lengthy process of kind of experimentation, curiosity, dipping in, dipping out, but with the lens of really answering those questions for myself, it's led to what feels to me like a extremely sustainable sobriety. Like yeah. you're thinking about, you know, I think even before we got on, you sort of mentioned some of the things we were talking about. It doesn't feel hard to me not to drink now. Like it's just yeah. a no brainer not to drink. I never even think about it. Yeah. And yet there are people who've been sober, abstinent sober for 20 years who are still dealing with cravings like mm. every day of their lives because there's, there wasn't necessarily, well, everybody's different. Who knows, right? Maybe yeah. it would be very different for me. But at the same time, I'm like, I've answered all those questions. So I've got the kind of intellectual understanding as well as the physical experience of alcohol just really doesn't do anything for me. Like it, there's literally nothing that alcohol can give me that I can't find in other ways that don't come with all of those negative side effects that I was experiencing that we've all experienced. So yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing 10 years, nine, 10 years, you know, and there've been ups and downs and that's life. Like, yeah. I think it's interesting, the whole thing around sobriety as well, because I feel the same. I almost, I don't know if it's guilt. I don't know if that's the right emotion to attach to it, but you know, it's almost like some sort of guilt or something around saying sobriety because, you know, I've had three drinks since November last year and we're now, what are we in September mm. basically? So you know, I've almost done a year and mm. I've had three drinks, which for mm. me, like, that is 
Well, for the majority, of, unquote, the majority of quote unquote drinkers, that wouldn't necessarily be considered drinking. But you're you're also not sober no. in terms of sober community. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like then where do you fit? But mm-hmm. but to be honest, I've really had to evaluate. Similar to you, I think. I guess I, this is a good question, actually. Mm-hmm. What do you think the links are between spirituality and sobriety? Hmm. Well, there's a whole chapter on this in my book, (laughs) Spirits and Spirituality. So for me, you also, you mentioned I have an online platform called The Numinous, which has kind of given birth to my first book and has been the subplot to the past sort of seven, eight years of my life and my sober journey, right? My sober curious journey. And that was the platform. It covers every aspect of modern spirituality. And so my first book was really about, as kind of a memoir slash guide about how bringing all of these practices in my life, and that's everything from yoga and meditation through alternative ideas about healing, astrology, tarot, shamanism, etc. Mm. And the personal transformation that I experienced engaging with all of these different practices and philosophies. Yeah. And it was actually going through that process that really shone a very bright and strong beam of awareness onto the overall impact that alcohol was having. And what I realized was that many of the things I was looking for in alcohol and my drinking experiences, I could experience and access through all of these spiritual practices. Oh, so yeah. it's a really strong link. And it's like, you know, in, for example, the first step or the second step, I think in the 12 step AA program is like, I surrendered to a higher power. <laughs> Mm. So, and lots of people have a, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. Like I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in God or higher power or whatever, Mm -hmm. but essentially it's a spiritual program that says, you know, in order to address whatever deep yearning or need or void it was that led you to drinking Mm. is actually a spiritual void. There's something inside, there's something internal and something greater than you that's not being addressed or that you're unable to connect to for whatever reason. And so, yeah, that's what God is for some people, you know, and I just call it spirit, I suppose. And so connecting, connecting to my spirit and finding other ways to believe, trust, embrace, nourish my spirit has been a vital part in me no longer needing or desiring to drink alcohol because if I use alcohol to attempt you know, I'm think talking like connection, confidence, self-awareness. Like if I'm, I used to think I used alcohol for those things, right? I used to think that alcohol made me creative. Oh alcohol connected me to like my biggest ideas and would kind of like free me of inhibitions that were holding me back from kind of like really being myself. Yeah, completely. No, it wasn't actually. It wasn't helping me. Do, oh, maybe on, on a surface level, it was helping me do those things, but in a very superficial kind of like one-dimensional way. I- yeah, I remember thinking though, because I don't know how many people know this. I have like another guys, I guess, if you like, called Little Billionaire, where I create art. And I also used to make clothing and, and hats, millinery. Mm. Part of my process when I was doing those things was always red wine. I would, you know, go to my studio. I had a studio. I miss that studio. It was great. <laughs> And I used to go to the studio with a bottle of red wine and a thing of hummus <laughs> and some crackers. And then I'd get to work, you know, and I'd, I'd sit and I'd drink a bottle of red wine while I was creating. Mm. Sometimes I wouldn't drink the whole bottle, but, you know, often I would be there for a very long period of time. Because when, mm. when I get in those kind of creative 
spaces time just seems to disappear mm. somewhere mm. and I really thought that actually it helped me be creative until I became sober and mm. then I was like oh hang on a second I feel much more creative I feel much more open I feel much more expansive and like ideas are flowing and and you know than I do when I'm drinking and and it was quite an interesting thing because I'd always made this correlation between drinking and creativity Mm. and then when I removed the drinking for the first time in you know 20 years or whatever Mm. it was in Mm. my life I was like wow hang on a second I don't need that to be creative that's not a thing and so it was very yeah it was a real bizarre realization yeah thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people may believe that or have experienced that as well Mm. and similarly it's more for me like I I don't know if I have more ideas or if I'm more creative without alcohol necessarily however I have the energy the confidence the Mm. (laughs) self-belief the commitment to actually follow through (laughs) on my ideas and get stuff Mm. done like I you know I used to have so much fun just kind of like brainstorming and coming up with funny concepts for businesses and things in the pub like mm-hmm. always always really creative how many of them actually materialized or came to be like yeah. very few if any yeah. you know yeah, it's like <laughs> um, so and so now I'm like yeah I almost have the opposite problem I have like two I've, got, I've manifested too many things and now you've got to do them all. I was saying this, I was moaning to my husband yesterday, like, oh my God, I'm just so, it's so full on. I'm like, there's juggling so many things. He's like, lucky you. Yeah, man. Lucky you. What a great life. I'm like, thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Yes. It's what incredible. What, a, what a, an abundance of thing. Like creativity is in my life. And I, yeah, yeah I, I have the energy to, to make it all happen because I sleep really well. And mm. I don't, I don't have, you know, that toxic substance clogging up my digestion and making me feel groggy in the head and in the tummy. And like, yeah, I just, yeah, I feel it's much easier to get into that flow state you described, Mm. that flow state of just being in the moment with whatever I'm working on and creating. Yeah. I think as well, like the more I practice spiritual practices, meditation, breath work, you know, I was in a it's no secret I've been in therapy for a long time and you know just the more you sort of go down that route and you're doing rituals and journaling and all these different kinds of things and you're really starting to build how I viewed it was I was really starting to build a relationship with myself like I didn't really know myself at all and the more that I started to build this relationship with myself and the more I sort of fell in love with who I was Mm. the less I wanted to damage that woman Mm. and the more I realized I had all these behaviors that were really damaging and things that actually historically I'd found quite comical you know like not being able to remember my night out or not being able to remember how I got home or having you know cuts and bruises all over my body that I had no idea where they'd come from you know they used to be like my comedy stories of like oh my god you know it was so wild I can't remember like what happened that started to be completely reframed into why are you putting yourself in a position where you can't remember how you got home Mm, or how you got hurt? (laughs) That's not okay. Yeah. And why are you putting yourself into places where you're, you're cutting and bruising yourself when actually I don't want to injure myself. I don't want to, you know, do anything that's going to damage my 
like casing or whatever that carries my beautiful little soul around this mm, earth, you know? mm, mm. and and it just became this kind of you know not to want to sound too wanky or too spiritual or whatever but actually it just became this kind of thing of noticing when I do certain behaviors and when I have certain things in my body and this happened to me with smoking as well I gave up smoking kind of almost overnight which was very bizarre because I was quite a, a big smoker and I always I smoked for years and suddenly I was just like wow what are you doing you know you're really damaging your body and this incredible incredible thing that we've been gifted and you're just damaging it then I just really started feeling the same about alcohol and every mm. time I would drink I just felt like you know at that point in time when on my journey for people that don't know I hadn't drunk for about 18 months because I'd been suffering with depression and alcohol is a known depressant, so I just cut it out. I had no desire to be sober. I just wanted to get over my depression and get back to drinking. But then when I went back to drinking after the 18 months of being sober, I'd been meditating loads. My energy was like really high, like super, super high vibes. So I was meditating on my own in silence for three hours a day, every day without fail. Like I was very, very connected and very sort of like in this really beautiful space actually. And then I was like, wicked, I've won at life, I've, I've done it, I've cured myself, I'll just get back to normal. And so I started drinking again, I started staying up late and partying and doing all, the, all my old behaviours and the depression crept back in and all the other things started creeping back in and I realised I wasn't meditating anymore and I wasn't doing any of these practices anymore. It was just like, wow, yeah. Why am I doing all these things that make me feel like shit when I can do it right. that make me feel good? Right. But they're just the things that we've always been told are the things that make us feel good. Like that's what's yeah. been presented as to us as a joyful party, like fun, loving lifestyle. Mm. And just to like zoom out and be a bit wanky here. Bit spiritual. <laughs> you <laughs> were describing that. Like people are saying to me, why is everyone getting sober curious now? And it just... And now I might get emotional. I don't know if I will. I felt it well up then, but it might not come up. When I think about the way that we're having such a mass awakening over how our kind of mindless consumption has affected the planet. Mm -hmm. If you think about like, I don't want to do anything that damages the planet. It's the same. Uh I don't want to do it. Of course, look at thinking that, like having that as the kind of overarching like theme of like this part of the 21st century. I also, that's kind of like a bigger picture version of, I also don't want to do anything that hurts me. Like how come I've been yeah. so mindless and so blind yeah. to the impact of these toxic behaviors on my yeah. body, but also on the planet, you know, yeah. it's like, I think we're going through a mass process of just reevaluating the preciousness of our physical home, whether it's our physical body or if it's the planet that we, that mm. sustains us basically. So I think those two things are very connected. Yeah, completely. I saw on trying to remember who it was if if this was you tell me and I'll tell you. <laughs> I can't remember who it was this isn't what I thought it isn't what I thought but when I read it I was like oh my god that that rings true to me so much so many people are so worried about the planet at the moment obviously I mean mm. everyone is right mm. and worried about politics and mm. everything seems to be burning down basically mm. but I keep having these like little glimmers of like hope lie in meditation where I'm thinking about you know when the forest burns in a natural fire I'm not talking about you know someone burning yeah. down on purpose for like you know commercial gain but when there's like a natural forest fire usually that's because the forest will burn and then it will nourish itself and it will regrow and it will actually be part of an ecosystem and 
there's always been a part of me while all this horror has been going on, where all these lights being shone on, you know, these horrendous treatment of, of people like, you know, probably my part in systemic racism that I had no idea I was part of, the Me Too movement, like all these different things, you know, childhood sexual abuse is now, they're saying one in four, but I've got people mm. in that industry that are saying they think it's higher, you know, more like one in two, which is just wow. horrendous. But all these things that just are now being brought to light that historically no one was aware of is at the moment a very uncomfortable thing but could be that, you know, as things burn down, it's like nourished and we and we grow stronger as a community. Mm, mm. Somebody put on, I think it was on Instagram or a blog, I can't remember what I was reading, but it was just like, oh yeah, this is how I feel about it. And they said the tower card in the tarot mm. and how, you know, when you get the tower card in a reading, often people think, oh shit, you know, the world is ending, yeah. The world's ending and <laughs> burning to the ground. Yeah. Actually, often it's about new beginnings and about waking up and about all these other incredible positive elements. And I think without the light being shone on these things, you know, we're never going to grow as, as, a, as a world community without us taking responsibility for our own bodies, our own minds and and moving things forward in in the world when we're, we're not going to be able to do that if there's all mm-hmm. bullshit mm. our eyes where we can't actually see what is truth mm-hmm. you know if we if we're not shining light on those shadows we're not going to be able to educate ourselves about them in which case things aren't going to change so there's there's part of me and whether that's again like the hippie <laughs> hippie spiritual part who's like everything's going to be fine guys you know we do need to make changes yeah we do need to take responsibility for our actions we do you know there needs to be huge glow on a global scale there needs to be huge change but we're not going to be able to make those changes without some certain constructs at least burning down absolutely well even you know I mentioned the idea of having a rock bottom with your drink I feel like we're in a collective rock rock bottom moment basically around mental health around uncovered trauma around just like systemic oppression we're having a rock bottom with all of these things politically environmentally economically we're in that kind of rock bottom moment and it's really painful, but it's c- completely necessary mm. oftentimes when we're, we're so addicted. Like I think we're completely addicted to money. We're completely addicted to work. We're completely addicted mm. to capitalism. Like we just are. And so we're having a rock bottom with those things, which is often the necessary first step to a healing process. Yeah. yeah agreed. Yeah. So the more we can, and this is, I think, you know, it's more vitally than ever to actually be having these conversations and be supporting each other and letting each other know it feels like shit right now. It's really fucking frightening and we're all going through it. (laughs) So let's have a hug and like, let's just chill and look after after each other. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that thing, isn't it? Of like, also trying to embrace what's happening without the fear mm. you know and I think a lot of times we get frozen in fear mm-hmm. you know that's a really natural human reaction is that something mm. scares us we freeze we hold our breath we you know we don't know what to do so we don't do anything and I think that is happening a lot as well as where people feel like who the hell am I? I know that I've been guilty of this myself. Like, who the hell am I? I can't save the world, you know. And then actually you start looking at, you know, some of the messages that I get on my Instagram or, you know, people that I work with one-to-one privately and things. And 
I am making a difference in my own way to other people's lives just by sharing my story and my knowledge and by spending my time, you know, reading books and, and educating myself and trying to change myself. I actually, it's like a pebble in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a water, you know, you, you drop in and then when you start to have conversations with your friends and they go, oh, I didn't realize that. And you go, yeah. And then they go, wow. And then they maybe get a bit curious and they start to make little changes. And I think even if we're all just doing what we can. Yeah, it makes, that's all we can do. <laughs> globally, you don't need to do everything. And I think there is this re- weird paradigm that we seem to be moving into as well at the moment of the responsibility is being put on the person singularly. Rather, so rather than it being like, okay, corporations, you need to not use plastic anymore. To, you, oh, yeah. You're only allowed to yes. make glass bottles now, or you're only allowed to serve drinks in cans and, and glass bottles because we know how damaging plastic is. Instead of making that rule, they're saying it's our responsibility to go and to buy, stop. Yeah. You know, go and buy a reusable water bottle, which often are made of plastic anyway. And I mean, I know that's better than using, say, 20, 50, 100 plastic mm. bottles in a mm. year. But it's still made, a lot of them are still made of plastic. So it's not actually solving the problem. It's just shifting it somewhere else. And also a lot of people become overwhelmed. Like, okay, right, I need to go vegan. I need to not eat meat or anything. I need to not have any sugar or whatever. I need to work out all the time. I need to be good at my job. I need to go on Greenpeace marches or whatever. I need to be part of Extinction Rebellion. I need to, and suddenly you start feeling like, oh my God, I need to carry all these mason jars around with me. (laughs) They're really heavy and, you know, whatever. And, And it gets a bit overwhelming. Whereas I think if similarly to sobriety, my journey with sobriety, rather than saying to myself, I'm never, ever going to drink again. I just said, I'm not going to drink for a while and I'm going to see how I feel. And I feel like it's very similar to everything that's happening in the world as well as like, Maybe I just change this one thing and see how that feels. And then when that becomes a habit, I can change this other thing and then another thing. And then, and as we all grow and we can all grow together. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's literally all, <laughs> literally all we can do though. And yeah. you know, I, I honestly believe that quitting drinking is like a really great first step that anyone can make to enacting change, bigger changes in their life, but also that ripple effect you mentioned, mm. just a, helping to awaken or kind of like empower other people in their lives as well. Mm. Just based again on personal experience, but also from so many conversations I've had about how much more confident, how much less anxiety, mm. how much more self-belief people have in their own ability and capacity to help enact and be part of the change simply through not drinking it's amazing but you know in terms of things I wish I'd known about sobriety like I didn't realize how much of my power I was giving away to or just squandering Mm -hmm. in a way or not connecting to or Mm -hmm. not accepting or not taking responsibility for actually through the drinking that I was doing which sounds might sound a little bit kind of random until you've actually lived it. But when, when I say power, I mean how much time, intellect, energy, focus, these are, these are what I think of as my power, how I can use mm. my power, right? Power is like almost like a finite resource that I embody mm. and it's expressed and I can use it by my actions in the world, by the conversations I'm having, by the things I'm putting out into the world is how yeah. I can use my power in the world. And when I think about how much of my power I was like 
putting into this kind of party lifestyle. It's just like, wow, what a waste. They don't call it getting wasted for nothing, right? (laughs) It's kind of how I think about it. Me and my friends used to have this, you know, this sort of phrase that we used to say. And we used to say, a wasted weekend is never a weekend wasted. And and now I'm like, I mean, it is. (laughs) It is, though, by definition. (laughs) It really is. And you think of all the other things you waste. It's not just your brain power and, you know, your, your kind of... I don't know, your spiritual energy, whatever you want to call it. But it's also like, I feel like I have so much more time. Mm. It's crazy. Like I get so much done. And then I think, well, yeah, because, you know, you would have spent Friday night out, Saturday day, probably hungover or going for brunch and then getting drinking again. I used to love a bottomless brunch though. (laughs) I still sometimes go, ah, it was fun though. And Which is fine, by the way. I, I'm also very much like no regrets. I had some of the best times ever. Oh it's just God. not appropriate for, for my life going forward. I know that. <laughs> do you think that? I'm like, well, you know, me five or six years ago, listening to me talk now would just be like, girl, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Get back on it. What the hell's wrong with you? But I just, I don't know. It's really opened my eyes to so many things that I had no idea about that, you know, mm. I just, you know, A, I didn't know there was an option not to drink. Mm. And even if I did, I don't know if I would have taken it anyway. Mm. Absolutely the most ridiculous thing ever. Why would you stop drinking? Exactly. Just boring. Like, why would you deny yourself all of that pleasure? Yeah. Right. And then the second thing would have been like, who are you going to hang out with? And what are you going to do? Because everyone you know drinks. So like, what are you going to do for fun? Right. (laughs) And to be honest, I did have a bit of a wilderness wilderness moment when I quit drinking and oh I thought you meant like wilderness festival I thought it was gonna be a festival story no, but no you mean actual in, barren like, wilderness tundra as in me no friends no friends as far as the eye could see no. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> is anyone else out here? and then you sort of find other people and you go oh there's other normal people who don't drink we're not all like weirdos and alcoholics. <laughs> oh no sorry I'm not saying all alcoholics are weirdos by the way but you know like how when you're drinking I've just, we're all weirdos I, Rachel I need... I'm going to backtrack all humans are weirdos at heart come on we are but you know when you're <laughs> like I realize how that might sound if I, do, I don't I do. qualify that comment but what <laughs> I mean is like when you're drinking when you're really in that drinking culture you do I did anyway. I really thought people who didn't drink were weird. Yeah. I they were the only people that the only people that didn't drink were either people that had a very, you know, developed addiction to alcohol or people that were just a bit weird. I didn't realise there was this whole spectrum and options and stuff. And that I think is the conversation that needs to be opened up kind of the opposite I always used to be quite quietly admiring of people who didn't drink particularly people who were still partying up in Ibiza or like yeah. deep, like you didn't drink I was always like wow Jedi you're hardcore yeah, man. and I was quite impressed actually that's <laughs> awesome that's so good that we've got that completely polar yeah. point of view yeah. <laughs> I was completely the opposite I just but I think I was so embedded into that lifestyle mm. It was really who I, it was how I associated myself with who I, you know, who I am, that it was very difficult to me for me to see outside of that bubble. And once mm. I was outside that bubble, I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> there's a whole world out here. Who knew? Yeah. And also <laughs> then you start like going, oh, maybe it's more normal to not drink and actually everyone else is drinking. 
got emotional problems like oh, I, <laughs> I don't know I don't know is that the, you know and then it's like oh god maybe I'm just really judgy and I didn't realize but yeah so I guess what I'd love to know is mm. a couple mm. of things is there anything that you felt and I know like no one really talks about failure so this is something that I really wanted to include in the podcast because mm. often we see people right who are on these journeys and social media is a, a nightmare for this as we see Ugh. everyone's best bits we don't see the you know all the underneath of all the planning and struggling and da, 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 and that didn't work but that's okay we'll do this other thing and then because the things that don't work no one evidently most people don't see them or whatever because it didn't work and the things that do work are the ones that that get to fly right so I guess with your sobriety journey is there anything you know not necessarily that you felt like you failed at, but maybe didn't go as well as you thought. And it was actually quite a big lesson for you. It's quite because I think with failure, we often learn our biggest lessons. I can't really think of anything that's felt like a failure in terms of the not drinking, mm. because I deliberately set myself up for there not to be anything that would be a failure. Like it, yeah. this is, you know, I talk about how in in sobriety circles in AA, if you have a, people will either call it a slip and that's very much, kind of the languaging that's out there in the sober curious movement too mm. but it could also be a relapse right you yeah. fucked up you failed you like your willpower failed and I'm like that's gonna happen it happens to 90% of people in abstinence-based recovery programs will mm. quote unquote relapse but I went into it with like I'm never gonna see that as a failure like I'm just not that to me does not equal failure to me that's just a reminder it's another learning opportunity it's mm. another there's going to be so much information in that experience mm. to help me going forward with what I what with what I want for myself mm. you know so in terms of sobriety there haven't necessarily been failures but in terms of like life in general oh my god all the time <laughs> <laughs> okay give us an example of life in general well things like just you know, I've I've been on this entrepreneurial path, running the numinous and having all these books out and doing events and retreats and just kind of very much, very much that classic kind of like slash hyphen, whatever you call it, career of like, I'm a author, writer, blogger, podcaster, content create, like all these things. Yeah. Retreat leader, coach, <laughs> et cetera, yeah. et cetera, brand consultant. There have been so many like just that I've gone into with very naively yeah. thinking I'll just do this like I did a sweatshirt line about five, five years ago and it was so cool like it was when everyone was doing those kind of rip-offs of designer logos kind of yeah. the words and I had like chakra Paris pra, prana Milano yeah vinyasa with like the, the Versace logo and stuff and they were yeah. so cool and well, I sort of made some for myself and then people started asking for them. I was like, great, we do this thing. Yeah. I invested loads of money, hired a person, got the whole thing, bought a yeah. load of sweatshirts and then no one brought them. Mm-hmm. I had like hundreds of sweatshirts in my house for like <laughs> years. Nightmare. So things like that, you know, yeah. and I think that, yeah, you can so what did you outside. Learn? Of- what did you learn from that? I just can't do everything. Like, like yeah. Shipping, that's what I learned. <laughs> right. <laughs> But also, I just just not every idea needs to actually materialize. And I, it taught me to really be very aware of like, what are my actual gifts? What am I really mm-hmm. good at? And what happens if I just focus on doing that? Right. And not trying, not having that thing of like, just because we can do everything in this digital age where we have, quote unquote, all the tools at our fingertips, like there's all these companies and all these apps and these consultants, you can help make anything a reality. It's like, not everything needs to be a reality and nor are we the person to... Mm-hmm you know, bring every kind of idea that we have into fruition. 
Yeah, and I think also just biding your time with things a little bit. Mm, mm. Stuff that I really desperately want to do with Wealth and Wellbeing. And anyone that's been to any of my events and smelt my aura sprays and gone, when are you bringing them out? And I go, soon. And that's been right. But it's like, is that, is it a priority for me right now to kind of develop, you know, look at packaging, develop Mm. the, you know, the actual elements of that product send it mm. all off to be tested to make sure it's safe for like you know mm. allergic to it or I'm not going to get sued or whatever and then I've got to invest all the money into like delivering that is is that like a key driver for my message of what I'm trying to deliver with well exactly exactly it's a nice to have and it is and I am good at it and it's lovely you know and I love using them in my events and everything and they do smell awesome and it does bring good moods to people and everything else and I'm sure at some point they will that will happen but Mm. I don't necessarily need to do that right now Mm. and or maybe not even ever like maybe it just won't happen maybe they're just beautiful things that you're able to use now and people love them and that's enough Like, yeah. I think what I've been thinking about is like when, what's enough and how to just really appreciate what I've got and what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And I think there's that we we live in a culture that's very much about striving to be better, take it to the next level, self-improvement, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that can actually become really tiring and yeah. be a fast track to burnout as you know, also. Mm-hmm. And I just think that I'm really getting into the space of like, what's enough, like good enough is actually pretty fucking good. And yeah. um cultivating contentment around what I have and where I am at and that's something that's come through sobriety and that's something I've been I've learned through sobriety because I think in a way my drinking was often driven and I'm pretty sure you'll relate to this through there's always a better time there's always a better party there's always longer I can go on and longer I can go out and a bigger DJ I can hang out with and like it was always this striving of like there's always more excitement out there somewhere if I just have another drink or have another line or whatever it is and it's Mm -hmm. like no what about if like actually what's happening right here right now is enough even if this is a bit boring and a bit kind of like it's not really a lot going on what if that's enough (laughs) and also like what's the question someone asked me a question recently and I was like whoa you know when you have one of those like Mm. moments and they said what if this is it Mm. what if actually you don't get any further than where you're at right now and you this is your peak (laughs) for your life would you be happy with that? And I was like, oh, yeah. Because I always just think there's something better. And that, to be honest, that's something that I have to be quite careful of because that was one of my triggers in, in like my depression and stuff. One of my, mm. one of my recurring thoughts was there has to be more to life than this, you know? Mm. And I don't really have that anymore because I think my life's pretty awesome now and I've cultivated it, it that way. But I'm not sure I would be happy if this was my my peak because there's so much more I want to achieve and then I'm like oh but you have actually achieved a lot like sometimes I forget to reflect and yeah. look back and go well yeah actually you know sort of five years ago you were bedridden you know two years ago you had just sort of done your first workshop and were thinking oh maybe I could have a well-being business <laughs> and now you're like running it and you've got loads of amazing clients and you've got a podcast and you've got this and you've got you know and it's like well actually that's quite a lot to mm-hmm. space of time whilst dealing with a mental health problem yes so you know and then it's a weird thing right because you're like well actually maybe then if that was your peak that's okay yeah so it's that weird thing I guess as well isn't it of finding what works for you mm-hmm. and kind of going you know, like you say, what is enough? 
when mm. when is it enough because mm. also there, oh, there was an interesting study actually that said and financially anyway that apparently 70k a year and that's 70,000 I don't know wherever you're listening you might think k what's that <laughs> <laughs> 70,000 pounds UK it was a year was like the tipping point of like happiness mm. so if you were like earning around 70,000 pounds a year mm. that's almost like you didn't have so much money that it was a problem because I think also sometimes when you're like billionaire or whatever like you don't know what to do with it all and I, I mean I don't know it's a nice problem to have probably yeah. literally no idea what that's like <laughs> really conditioned into thinking that's a nice problem to have but like you know many very wealthy people have a lot of that's stress anxiety and mental health and a lot of suicides happen in that bracket and exactly relationships feel very shallow and yeah there's a similar study I read I think it was $75,000 that actual that happiness material happiness or life life satisfaction mm. doesn't increase above Over that, that yeah. earning level yeah. yeah and there was another one on this as well exactly. <laughs> there was another one I remember interviewing a happiness expert for some project I was doing years ago and he was talking about how I don't think he'd actually done these studies where he was talking to people across the spectrum of kind of earnings and also sort of relationships and family relationships mm-hmm. And he found that even refugees, right, even refugees Mm. who were kind of like had been forced out of their countries, people who had had really strong relationships Mm. were happier than people who were very materially stable, wealthy, Mm. but who didn't have good connections and good relationships. So, yeah, I just think we're we're undergoing a mass kind of reevaluation of Mm. that also, what it means to be wealthy, you know. Mm, Completely. And I think it's interesting as well around, you know, connect, connection, right? Mm. And whether that's connection to self, connection to spirit, connection to others. When you have that whole true connection to all those things, you do feel quite untouchable. Mm. I'll be honest, like, there's only been a couple of points in my life, like I'm not perfect, you know what I mean? Like at the moment, you know, there were periods in my life where I was really doing... I was, you know, meditating for three hours a day. I was doing this, I was doing that, but I wasn't working. I was off sick. Mm, mm. My whole focus of everything was get well, get mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. do yourself, do it, you know. And now it's like I'm running a business. I've, I do my art projects on the side. I've got, you know, a beautiful social circle of people that I need to keep up with and my family and everything. And so you've got a lot to fit into your day. And so mm. it, you know, it is around what's also possible, right? So, but if you can try and connect once a day, I think to self, once a day to spirit, and once a day to another, mm-hmm. you're going to really find this in, incredible power that you didn't even realize was there. Yeah. Through actual true connection. Yeah. I think there's so many examples that I can use of like this lack of connection, you know, like we're all keeping up with each other on social media, but we don't. You know, you might see that someone's liked your thing, but you don't really, you don't feel that connection from it. You might, you know, no one really rings each other anymore. Everyone's chatting on WhatsApp or text-based stuff. We're not making, Garber Matin, and a number of trauma experts actually talk about this face-to-face connection that human beings need to, in order to feel calm and touch and how important that is to us. And I just think we're all kind of living in these you know, especially in cities anyway, we're all living in these little boxes, 
by ourselves you know we barely know our neighbors let alone yeah I'm actually actually I'm quite lucky where I live I just had new neighbors moved in they're really nice and, um, <laughs> and we're friends with all the little shopkeepers who live, live you know who own the shops and the takeaways and stuff near ours and it's it's really actually a lovely community where I live I'm very lucky but that's odd for London and I think partly why I don't ever want to move from this area is because I found that connection to my community and I found those things and I think when you're drinking it's very difficult to have look people in the eye and to really connect in that way and we think it's connecting us and it's not exactly yeah that was one of the biggest sort of surprises about not drinking actually how much how even friendships that I felt were really deep Mm. and really connected there was a layer level of superficiality about a lot of it Mm. And it didn't feel like it at the time. And I'm not saying that those relationships weren't valuable to me. Many of those people I still have relationships with, but actually now on an even deeper level. Mm. And it's been just really amazing to me to just feel the difference in the kinds of relationships that I've, that I've created in my life mm. in sobriety, like the sober relationships that I have. There's just this additional layer of connection that I didn't even really know existed yeah. and that's across the board that's in family in my relationship with my husband even though someone I've been I've been my husband for 20 years and yet there's a deeper level that's come into our our mm. connection in the past two years since both of us have not been drinking of just like I think it's about being vulnerable isn't it and that's something that Brene Brown talks about obviously mm. there's a, always an element and I remember thinking back to you know often we'll think oh let's get a glass of wine and have deeper meaningful, you know, we'll go, let's get a glass of wine and like, let it all hang out. Yeah. But I realized that actually that glass of wine was anytime I was going to get really vulnerable, it was helping me gloss over or skip past like the really scary or the really ugly or the really shameful thing that needed to be said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know that because now in those conversations, when that thing comes up and I ignore it, I know I've ignored it. And I know that we haven't really got gone there. Yeah. And I know how scary it is sometimes to see the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because now I don't have the, the booze kind of like, rubbing yeah. the edges off that you know oh, I'm mm. that sometimes I'm like oh take the edge off my anger or my sadness or whatever <laughs> or, yeah gin and tonic yeah. <laughs> oh well it's been amazing talking to you is there anything else you wanted to add so maybe if people are listening to this maybe they're getting sober curious themselves maybe they're on they've just started their journey or they're thinking about starting their journey I don't know if there's any other kind of tips or hints or anything that you want to share before we unfortunately well I will I will direct people to my podcast Sober Curious to like all different kinds of people like across the board um, about their experiences of not drinking you get to hear Rachel cry in her episode (laughs) great being very Um, ultra vulnerable actually speaking of connection I do actually think that as a a media medium I think podca- one of the reasons podcasting is so popular is that there's something very comforting about hearing human voices, yeah. even if we're not actually in the room. It's like there's, there's a sort of a, a deep level of, of connection that can happen there. So I really yeah. love my podcast. So my podcast is Sober Curious. And it's There'll on- be links below on all the things. There'll be links. But yeah, otherwise, I think for anyone who is thinking, is sober curious, is thinking about quitting, like there's, there's a reason you're thinking that. There's a reason that instinct and that curiosity is arising in you. Yeah. 
you know, and you really, I would just say you owe it to yourself to pursue it and to be mm. curious and to actually take the plunge and do some of the scary things. And yeah. Amen. Yeah, man. Yes. <laughs> That's a great place. And thank you so much for joining me and for your time and for your insights and for your knowledge and everything. And we'll be back again next week. So thanks a lot. Bye. Things I Wish I'd Known is brought to you by Welford Wellbeing. Check out my website at www.welfordwellbeing.com.